Hallelujah. Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis and the topaz and the diamond and the barrel and the onyx and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee. In the day that thou wast created, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the days that thou wast created. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14 says, And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust thou shalt eat of the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And then Isaiah wraps this up in Isaiah 65 verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the bullock. And dust shall be the serpent's meat. And while that may not make sense at first, putting all of those different verses together, give me some time this morning and we will uh, allow you to understand this very simple thing. The devil's loss is my gain. The devil's loss is my gain. Father, I know we've worshipped you for the past 45 minutes or so. But God, I'm asking right now that we don't lose that spirit of worship and awe and reverence to our King. But somehow through your word, would you let it speak to hearts that are here today. And would you minister as only you can to this congregation. We're just humanity. We're just broken people. But God, by your mercy, by your redemption, and by your restoration, we have been made like you. And I pray that you would guide and strengthen us in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You can be seated in Jesus' name. We have tried over the last few songs to put God's glory into perspective. And I know that there are songs that we can sing that seems to be the easiest way that we describe God. There are poems that have been penned and sermons that have been preached and transcribed. And yet, if we took all of the verse and all of the writing and everything that we have done, there would never be enough to describe the glory of God. Even the greatest songs pale in comparison. But if we could, I want to take you into that glory. In the Bible, there is a myriad of characters that we find. And And I find myself gravitating a lot to the Old Testament and those stories that kind of formulate and show us the presence and the power of God. But there are, although we don't give it a lot of attention, there are angels in the Bible. In fact, there are many angels that that are mentioned, maybe not by name, but in all of their details. And uh, But seldom do I get into the preaching of angels. Sometimes we get caught up in the mystical part of the Bible and, and while there are things that I may never completely understand about the Word of God, we don't need to get so bogged down in things that are kind of mystical that we miss just the simple fact that Jesus died for your sins and that if you'll live for Him and let Him fill you with His Spirit and you're baptized in Jesus' name, you don't have to know the names of the angels. When you get to heaven, there's not going to be any test about which angel angel did what. Oh, sure, you probably know of Gabriel, the messenger angel. 
He's the one that you find very often in the Word of God bringing a message to someone such as Mary, the mother of Jesus. There is an angel by the name of Michael that seems to war or go to battle a few times. And I'm sure that you've heard of cherubims and seraphims. and We can even talk about the mighty angel. But there is one angel in the word of God that's described more than Gabriel and is described more than Michael. And of this angel, it, we read about him. And again, I know angels probably don't have a gender, but it's easier for me to, to use the, that uh, him, if you will, that pronoun. But he's, he's uh, described in Ezekiel chapter 28. In Isaiah chapter 14, and as you begin to look into that, and it takes it, I'll be honest, when I begin to study it, you have to read it in the King James, and then i got to go get a New Living Translation, and then I've got to kind of make sure I understand all of this poetic language and the picture that begins to unfurl. It starts very simple. It says, O Lucifer, son of the morning, that, that, that Lucifer, that that uh, mourning, all of that expression, it comes from a Hebrew word named Hillel. It's describing the brightness of this angel. In fact, there's another place in the Word of God that says he was called the morning star. Ex Lucifer existed in what was called the garden of the gods, and, or the, of God rather, and it's the poetical term for the heavenlies or God's domain. As we read in Ezekiel chapter 28, we find that somehow incorporated in Lucifer's being, there were nine stones that were held together by little gold fastenings. Carnelian and Peridot and Moonstone and Beryl and Onyx and Jasper and Lapis Lazuli and Turquoise and Emerald. That's from the New Living Translation. It was there. So incredible is the detail that the word of God goes through for Lucifer that it even says that there were pipes or bezels of gold that held those jewels in place like the prongs of a ring. There was adorning the visage or the figure of Lucifer. There were tabrets or tambourines that jingled when Lucifer walked. The Bible says he was that anointed cherub that covereth. That turn of phrase is very interesting and as you look at it you can find there were four different characteristics of this cherub. A cherub is a type of angel and while I don't know what they look like I can only see what the Bible tells me. There were some things that I've learned about a cherub. Number one, they guarded paradise. When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 23, the Bible states that there were cherubs that were placed at the entrance of the garden of Eden so that man in its sinful nature could not enter back into that paradise they guarded there. A, a more uh, uh, easier perhaps understanding is that which is in Persia. There was a, a uh, understanding in ancient Persia that there were four guards that would surround the king's throne. Wherever the king went, there would be a guard in front, a guard on either side, and a guard behind. They were huge men, as uh, the antiquities would teach us, and they would carry a sword. And if anyone approached the throne of the king of Persia uninvited, unannounced, they instantly were killed. There was no you know, asking questions. There was none of that going on. And so it was that the cherubs guarded the place of God so that nothing unbeknown or nothing, un, uh, or, or nothing tainted by sin or unholy could enter 
They guarded that paradise. The second thing they did is they attended to Jehovah. In Exodus chapter 23, you get a glimpse into that holy place because day and night, uh, and, and Lucifer and these cherubs would attend to Jehovah. His very being would sparkle with radiant beauty as he would walk in in view of Jehovah with all of his splendor and glory. The Bible teaches us that God is the light of the world. And that light, as it would reflect a thousand times off of Lucifer, what a beauty it must have been. Understand this without the light, Lucifer was nothing. But standing in the presence of God, Lucifer would have shone. While I find it hard to wrap my mind around what the heavenlies or the domain of God is. See, when we think about heaven, we think about really what is called the new Jerusalem. That Jesus is going to prepare a place for you and I with streets of gold and walls of jasper. But to be honest, that is for you and I. Now he's going to be there and he's going to be in the middle and we won't have to need sun or moon and, and all of that beauty. But, but there has always been a heavenly place that God has dwelled and the writers called it the holy mountain of God. And it's there that when Lucifer would walk, he would walk among the stones of the fire. Everywhere he walked, he would jingle, he would make a noise. It would not have been a discordant jangling that kind of aggravated, but simply I believe that Lucifer would have walked with a musical beat with every step a form of worship to his creator. It would have been an incredible thing to witness. The third thing that cherubs did, not only did they guard paradise, not only did they bear the, or not only did they attend to, to, to God, but they bore the throne. In fact, Psalms 18 indicates this. It says, he opened the heavens and came down. This is God. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet and mounted on the wings of a mighty angelic being. He flew soaring on the wings of the wind. Now, please don't try to, you know, go paint this picture. This is just one way that we can describe the glory and the greatness of God. Sister Julie, you sang that song just right now. Surrounded by his glory, what will my heart feel? If we had to write what we see when we get to heaven, it might kind of sound something like this. Psalms 80 says that God is enthroned above the cherim. In Psalms 99, it says the Lord is king and let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubims. Let the whole earth shake. It's Ezekiel that gave us a clear picture of the work of a cherub. And I had to laugh because uh, I had Zane and Grant a couple days ago. We were hanging out and... and uh, if you, you just have to know Zane and Grant. You never know where the conversation is going to go, and you just have to let it go. But uh, we were sitting in the car driving, and I know by the Tom Harding, you're here. But he said, both of them said, Pastor, I don't understand. How in the, what, what did Brother Harding mean when he was singing that song about a wheel in the middle of a wheel? As Wednesday night, if you got to be a little older to understand that. But they were so confused, and so I tried to describe it. But that comes from a vision that Ezekiel had in Ezekiel chapter 1, where he had a vision where he saw a great storm coming down from the clouds, and a cloud flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. And from the center of that cloud, four living beings of some sort seemed to appear they had four faces, one on each side of their head. And again, I'm not saying that this is exactly what you're going to see up there. It's Ezekiel's attempt to describe something that is indescribable. said their legs were straight, had hooves like a calf, and stone, shone with burnished bronze. 
They each had wings, four wings, and under those four wings, they, or, or rather those, those wings touched the wings of the one beside him, and they could move in any direction without turning around. He said, I saw in, in that that I, I saw beings, and, and under those beings I saw four wheels touching the ground, each wheel belonging to one. The wheels sparkled as if they were made of barrel. They looked alike and were the same, and each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it, and the beings could move in any of the four directions that they faced. Again, Ezekiel's just trying to describe the glory of God, but he said in verse 26, Above this surface was something that looked like the throne made of blue lapis lazuli. And on this throne high above was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. This is God. And from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber, flickering like a fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame, shining in splendor. And all around him was the glory, like a rainbow shining in the clouds. And the glory, this is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. It was Ezekiel saying, I saw God surrounded by angelic beings. It was incredible. It was amazing. They surrounded that place. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 18 tells us that there were two cherubims that were created on top. This was a, a, a picture. It wasn't the real angels. But there were two golden cherubs that spread their wings over the Ark of the Covenant which is what we called that top, the mercy seat, where symbolically Israel would have said this is where God dwells. Lucifer was this anointed cherub that covereth. There's two truths that we can take out of that. The first word anointed, it's not the same that you and I think of the word anointed. It's not the anointing of the priest. It is not the anointing of Jesus Christ, but rather it's a Hebrew word that really means outspread. In this sense, it meant that they, with their outstretched wings, they would cover. The word cover, it comes from a, a Hebrew word meaning to fence in, to protect, to cover over. And so I'm just trying to set the stage for a moment how important Lucifer was. He protected, he guarded his very being shone with the glory of God. He was, was worshiping with every step that he took. But Isaiah chapter 14 paints another picture. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which weakest the nation? For you said in your heart, I will ascend into the heavens and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God and I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in both sides of the north and I will ascend to the heights of the cloud and I will be like the most high. Lucifer got a little too big for his britches. Lucifer had decided that no longer did he want to serve and so in trying to usurp the authority of the creator of God Almighty instead, he is going to be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Those that look at you, Lucifer, will look narrowly upon you, meaning they kind of glance at you through the corner of their eyes and they will consider and they will say, this one that's in hell, how in the world is he the one that made the earth to tremble and shook the nations? Why were we so scared of him when this is where he is at? You're cast out of the grave like an abominable branch. Lucifer's demise was simple. He was tired of reflecting the glory of God and wanted to become God himself. 
He became tired of worshiping the creator and desired to create himself. And so Lucifer withdrew from the throne room of God and conspired with one third of those other angelic beings. And in the darkness of corners and in the shadows of deceit, they plotted against the almighty God. His ego and pride and self-exaltation grew until it took hold of him and they marched these third of angels, however many that might have been. They marched against God's throne and with just a shrug of his shoulder, so to speak, God tossed them down and mighty was the fall of Lucifer. From the mountain of God, he plummeted, fell to earth from the heights of the heavens to ultimately the depths of the earth, Lucifer was laid low and Jehovah grieved because that anointed covering cherub was gone. There was a loss in heaven. There no longer was worship. No longer was there someone that was there. It just wasn't the same a song. I remember a message that Brother Farino preached that, that the song was missing in heaven, that there's no record of any song being sung in heaven since the fall of Lucifer. I, I, I remember sitting on that front row hearing him say that. I went home, not that I doubted Brother Farino. I've learned better than that. But not that I've doubted that. But I went home and I searched it. And I can't find any song mentioned once Lucifer fell. And Jehovah grieved because worship had fallen. Allow me to skip over some generations and let me get you to Moses. All of a sudden, God saw fit again a place that he might dwell. He had been looking for a replacement for Lucifer. He was longing for that same worship that he had from Lucifer. And so he ordained in Exodus chapter 28, he ordained the priesthood. Hang with me for a moment. In the priesthood, there was great... Uh, uh, it takes a lot of time in the Word of God to describe exactly how the priests were to be dressed. In, in Exodus chapter 28, starting in verse 15, I won't read it all, but it says that you're going to match the ephod, use finely woven linen embroidered with gold and blue and purple and scarlet thread. You're going to make a chest piece of a single piece of cloth folded to form a pouch nine inches square. You're going to mount four, gem, four rows of gemstones on it. You're going to have a red cornelian, a pale green peridot, and an emerald. And then in the second row, a turquoise, a blue lapis lazuli, and a white moonstone. The third row, orange jacinth, and an agate, and a purple amethyst. And the fourth row will contain a blue-green barrel, an onyx, and a green jasper. And those 12 stones are going to be tied together with gold filigree. I don't know if you can kind of put the pieces together as I'm going, but those priests were to wear a covering of gems and of gold. It's the same gems. It's the same gold that Lucifer had, but this time God put on those priests, he put a third more, 12, instead of the nine that Lucifer had. Now, I can't find this in the Bible. You can't go tell anybody it's, it's any sort of, uh, of doctrine, but I kind of think in my own mind that God gave uh, the priest uh, a third more of the gemstones that he gave Lucifer just to remind Lucifer of the third of the angels that fell and remind him of his place they wore there the Bible also says that they you make pomegranates out of blue uh, out of blue purple and scarlet yarn attach them to the hem of the robe with gold bells between them you get the idea 
when those priests would walk into that holiest of holies, when those priests would walk into the tabernacle which symbolized the dwelling of God, that would be a pleasing melody once again to the ears of the Lord. And they would go there and they would walk and they would minister. And once again in the courtroom of heaven, worship and music would be heard. He said, make a lampstand, Moses, out of pure hammered gold. Make the entire lampstand and decorations of one piece. It's going to have six branches going out on one side or, 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 or on either side, three on each side and one in the middle. He said, I also want you to light it and that will be the only light in the tabernacle. When those priests would walk into the tabernacle, everything that they wore would reflect that light there. They were to minister day in and day out to Jehovah. They were to offer incense. They were to offer sacrifices. There was not a moment that the fire was allowed to go out. There was not a moment that there would not be someone inside the tabernacle worshiping. They would bear the ark Every time that they would move, those priests would have to pick up the ark, the dwelling place of God. They would put it on their shoulders. They would protect and they would cover that glory. But yet, as I have preached so many times over the last year or so, this Mosaic covenant was not yet still what Jehovah longed for. Jehovah wanted something, someone that would worship not once a year, not just whenever they sin, but someone who would be a attending presence each and every day. There was yet a void of that had to be filled. The tabernacle was worshipped, yes, but it lacked the spontaneity that God was used to in heaven. He desired, and the Bible uh, reflects this, he desired more than ritual sacrifice and worship. So God became flesh. Over these last two Wednesdays talking about what it meant and what it took for God to redeem us. And then last Wednesday night what it took for God to restore us. To realize that deity became humanity and dwelt among the fallen people. And the spotless lamb bore the countless sins of generations to an old rugged cross. How one unspotted by sin would be willing to be nailed to a cross and blood spilled that atones for all mankind. And at that moment, as the blood began to drip down the cross, it was at that moment that Jehovah found a worshiper. If you fast forward a few weeks after that, maybe a month or so, you would find a group of common people. They didn't have anything going for them. They weren't priests. They, they didn't know how to sing. They didn't even know how to preach at this point. But there was 120 that gathered at an upper room. And there the Holy Ghost fell upon them. And there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it was at that moment that God took up residence not in the heavens. God took up residence not in a tabernacle. But God took up residence in the heart of man. What the law could not do for humanity, Christ did by his sacrifice. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I know I'm a little slow, but hang with me for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, and I'm reading in the New Living Translation. The old way with the laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look on the face of Moses. 
His face shone with the glory of God even though the brightness was already fading away. But shouldn't we expect a far greater glory under this new way? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, then how much more glorious ought it be this new way that makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared to the glory of this new way. The glory that fell in that upper room put everything you find in the Old Testament to shame. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What I'm trying to tell you is, it's not your glory. It's not what you do. But I watched an entire congregation a few minutes ago rise up from this pew, and you begin to to reflect the glory of an almighty powerful God your worship was not your own your worship was not your glory you reflected it it's not I but Christ in me the hope of glory this new worshiper that God found when he could put his spirit inside them let me tell you a few things that are happening number one you ought to look at how you and I are clothed in splendor Isaiah trying to describe what's going to happen said I will greatly rejoice in my Lord my soul shall be joyful in my God for he hath clothed me with garments of salvation he hath covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and a bride adorneth herself with her jewels you don't understand how beautiful you really are you don't understand what it means when someone that's been saved walks into the house of God and lifts up holy hands oh there ain't an angel around that sparkles like you do he said in Isaiah 61 he said that he would appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness I know some of us carry great burdens when we walk into the house of God you know how I know that because I've done it I know what it's like to come into church with your head hung low, with your back bent over with burdens. But oh, the moment you clap your hands, oh, the moment you begin to worship, oh, the moment that you sing for God is the moment that that spirit of heaviness is cast aside and a garment of praise, the likes that Lucifer only dreams of, goes. You're clothed in splendor. You bear the presence and you protect the presence of God. Paul said in verse Corinthians chapter 3, don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the temple of and that the spirit of God dwells in you? And if any man defiles the temple of God, then God will destroy, for the temple of God is holy whose temple you are. Do you realize the importance of the life that you now live? That's why the Bible says lift up holy hands. That's why the Bible says be holy for I am holy. Why? Because you're protecting, you're guarding the presence of God that dwells in you. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says, Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you and that you have of God and you are not your own for you were bought with a price so therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Which, are, which belong to God's, meaning it's, it's possessive. Not only, not only do you reflect His glory, not only do you, are you clothed in splendor, not only do you bear Him, but bear His presence, but you ought to be forever worshiping Him. Colossians chapter 3 says, let, all of the word, let the word of the Lord dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What you do when you worship. And I hope and I pray that you don't only lift your hands in church. I hope you drive down the road and you're listening to something that's, that, that's uplifting to the Lord. And I hope there's moments in your car where the presence of God begins to move. And I know it's kind of hard to do this. Maybe keep one eye open while you drive so you don't wreck. But there's been moments I got one eye closed, one eye open, one hand on the wheel, and one hand lifted to the, to the headliner of my car. And I begin to worship him there because it's not about when I come to church. It's about living a life that forever worships him. Paul said it best. He said, whatsoever you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And Paul wasn't finished. He went to another book of the Bible and he wrote this. He said, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Philippians chapter 1 says, being filled with fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the praise and glory of God. I have one purpose that supersedes all other purposes in my life. My life exists to worship Him. Lucifer is beside himself with jealousy. I've said this so many times. In fact, I think I mentioned it back when we talked about the redeemed and the restorer. You ever done something and you regret it later? You ever, you ever missed an opportunity that you'll never in your life get back and you regret it? Maybe you did something rash. But I will tell you today that while the devil is a liar and everything he says is a lie, there is one truth that he holds on to. He longs to be back in the presence of God. Now, he won't admit it. There ain't a chance he'd admit it, but he'd give anything to leave this throne that he's created down in Hades. He'd give anything to get back on that mountain of God and attend to the presence of Jehovah. And it frustrates him to no end how you and I, how fallen humanity could take his place. And so he manipulates and he connives and he tries to steer you to the same road that he traveled. If he could just get you to stop worshiping. If he could get you to get fixated by your own selfish desires and your own arrogant plans. If, if he could just get you to be like him. You know how they say, misery loves company. If your praise could ever go. But I've got three steps. If you want to be the greatest worshiper of God that you could ever become. The first, and we've mentioned it all throughout the service, what is your view of God? 
Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high, the sitting on the throne high and lifted up. How do you see him? I can't remember when it was, but there was, I had it on a VHS tape that tells you how long ago it was, but there was a, a, a group of Christian sketches, dramas that you could get. And I remember one of them, it was all the ways that people view God. They view God as an evil, or, or at least a mean taskmaster, like a Zeus that zaps you with lightning every time you do wrong. Some people see God as their personal butler. Whatever I need, God, you're going to do it. But no, in my life, I've decided that when I think of God, I see Him high and lifted up. I see Him holy and undefiled. I see Him omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere at all times. I see the Lord in His greatness and His glory. And then my question is, how do you see yourself? Isaiah said, and he said, after he saw the Lord high and lifted up, his second statement was, and then I said, woe is me, for I am undone, and I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That old song that says, for such a worm as I. There's no greatness in this body. There's no greatness in Brandon Buford, but there is in him. I see him high and lifted up. I see me in desperate need of a Savior. But the third thing is, what is your view of the adversary? Oh, how you're fallen from heaven, oh shining star, son of the morning, Isaiah wrote. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. You said to yourself, I'll ascend to the heavens and I will set my throne upon God's stars and I will preside over the mountain of the gods far away in the north and I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. But instead, you will be brought down into the place of the dead, down into the lowest depths. And everyone will stare at you and ask, could this be the one that shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is this the one that destroyed the world and made it to a, nation, a wasteland? Is this the king? that demolished the world's greatest cities and had no mercy on his prisoners. Is this the one? This Lucifer, the once bright morning star, only has an eternity of darkness. The once sparkling attendant of Yahweh who radiated with untold glory from reflecting the all glory of God now counts his days to his final resting place. A place of utter darkness. A place where diamonds and carbuncles and emeralds don't even have a chance to shine. Because Revelation chapter 20 says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. And he seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. And the angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he shut and locked so Satan could no longer deceive the nations. That's where he is. Jesus said in Matthew 8, 9, and 12 that the children of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you see that phrase over and over, outer darkness. Wherever that is, you're not going to shine. But oh, your future. <laughs> Thank you, Sister Julie, for the, that last song. 
The future you have is so much different. The new heaven and the new earth. The old heaven, old earth passes away. The sea is gold and the or the sea is gone in the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a shout from the throne that said, Look, God's home is now among his people. He'll live with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with, with, with them and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, nor pain. He said, let me, one of the angels came and told John, said, come with me, I want to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, that's you and I. Took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, showed me a holy city descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like precious stones with jasper clear as crystal. Over and over you see in that, and I don't have time, you see it as they measured its jasper walls, its pure golden streets, its foundations not of concrete, but foundations of precious stones. Gates are made of one single pearl, each of those 12 gates. And I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb is its temple. And the city had no need for sun or moon, for the glory of God reflected the city. And the Lamb is their light. Would you stand with me for a moment? I'm just trying to put in perspective the importance of the worship that you and I are destined to bring the Creator. And as I have preached, recognizing how much worship has gone through this place already this morning, I also recognize there are some in whom deep down inside you say, my life has lost its worship. Isaiah 24 leads this he said, the mirth of the tabrets have ceased. Tabrets is kind of a fancy word for tambourine, kind of. The joy of the tab- tambourines has been silenced. The noise of them that rejoice has ended, and the joy of the harp ceaseth. They're not drinking wine with a song. The strong drink is bitter to the one that drinks it. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up. It's been demolished. No man can come in. There's a crying on the streets. All joy is darkened. And the mirth of the land, the joy of the land is gone. And the city is left desolation. And the gate is smitten with destruction. Some today, you've lost your joy. You've lost your worship. You've lost your glory. You've lost the shine. Everybody around you seems to worship. But inside, there's just it's not there. So you say, Pastor, I like what you're saying, but I just can't find the joy. Well, I'd like to tell you today, Jeremiah gave you the answer to that. The Lord said, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people that were left of the sword, meaning those that survived the slaughter, shall find grace in the wilderness, and I will cause them to rest. He said, I have loved thee with an everlasting love and with, an ever, with loving kindness I have drawn thee. I will build thee and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt be once again adorned with thy tabrets and thou shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. I'd like to tell somebody right now, I hope and pray today, not tonight, but right now,
you would hear the sound that I hear. And that is the sound of joy coming back. Somebody that says it's been a long time since I lift my hands in praise but oh I want to get back to the place where I can reflect the glory of Almighty God. I want to get to the place where my life reflects His praise. My life reflects His glory. My life reflects His greatness. I wonder right now if we can lift our hands all across this building and would you begin to do what Lucifer only dreams of doing right now? Would you do what the priest could only do in some sort of symbolic way? But would you do it from the bottom of your heart? His loss is your gain. (laughs) What you're doing right now is the one thing that Jesus needs. I know he has all power. I know he can do anything. But for whatever purpose, the Lord said, there is one thing I will not do for myself. I will not worship. And so he says, is there a worshiper in the house? Is there anybody here that's willing to worship? Is there anybody here that's willing to lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting? Is there anybody here that's willing to fill the void that's missing in heaven? Is there anybody here that's willing to give Him glory and honor and praise?